Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. I'm Julieta Kuznir. On today's program, we feature City College, a beautiful book that talks about the fight for City College and have it free and open for all, and also discuss the current struggles right now at the college. We'll also bring you a beautiful compilation of Chicano poetry, of Chicanex Chicano poetry, classic mix of incredible Chicano poets that will feature Juan Felipe Herrera and Jose Montoya. So don't miss our arts and culture focused show. Stay tuned. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. On today's program, we're talking about a subject very dear to my heart, along with our wonderful guests. We're talking about City College of San Francisco, and I have with me on the line Vicky Legion, who taught at City for 25 years, and Lalo Gonzalez, who is an incredible activist, a student activist, and now is also in the education world, but he was a big part of this fight for City College. So we're talking about an exciting book that Vicky is a co-author on, Vicky Legion. It's called Free City, The Fight for City College and Education for All. And this book is really covers a lot of ground and it covers something that's essential, which is the overall attack on community colleges that we're seeing across the state. And this is something that, you know, many people don't even know is happening. Maybe they're just seeing what's happening locally, but they don't have the context for it. I'd love for us to start off just by setting the groundwork. Community college was essential for my development. My biggest learning happened at community college. It, it's a beautiful place. It's why I taught at community college. My whole dream was always, I want to teach at City College of San Francisco. That was always my dream because it was the most important place that I learned and grew as a human. But I think that that's not just a city college experience, it's also a community college experience. Could either of you just lay the groundwork and talk to us a little bit about what role does community college serve in our state and what has been the vision for community colleges? The community colleges were set up and expanded tremendously after the 1960s to be local places where working class people who had jobs and family obligations could go to get an education in a really wide number of areas. So it was called the Open Door Community College. And a place like City College had a very big ESL program, English as a Second Language, it had very big arts program, so people could become incredible hip-hop dancers. <laughs> they could participate in great sports teams. They could prepare themselves for transfer. They could even finish a high school degree for adult education. So all of those incredible offerings <laughs> with a lot of student support services were part of the Open Door Community College. And California had by far the biggest community college system with uh, almost 3 million students in 2008. And the community colleges is where three quarters of Latinx and black students start their college career. So it's a super important community institution. And, and I can add to that. I think it's also important to 
point out the historical foundation that kind of paved the way for City College to be known as one of the best community colleges in the nation. Uh, and I'm pointing at the California Master Plan in 1960, which was kind of built around three values, uh, access, affordability, and quality. And it was famous throughout the world based on its, that it promised an education for any person who could benefit by instruction, and it promised tuition-free college for all. And that was actually for the first 50 years of the community college system. And I think also because San Francisco has a long history as a city of social justice, City College made the most of the promise of the open door. So City College swam against the tide of austerity and continued to expand into the 2000s and offered a very broad offerings at 10 campuses around the city and 200 plus community colleges. And just like Vicky had mentioned, you know, I want to point out some of the key programs and services, the best and largest English as a second language program in the country, a strong nursing program, a wide range of certificates in healthcare interpretation and drug and alcohol counseling. I mean, it trained firefighters, culinary workers, early childhood educators. It had a cluster of ethnic studies and social justice departments that were the beating heart of social justice at the college. You know, that include African-American studies, Latinx studies, the first Filipino studies department in the country, the first LGBTQ department in the U.S., and even the first critical Pacific Islander studies in the U.S. mainland. You know, and it also had a, a major arts program. You know, it offered a, over 100 music classes every semester. And so, you know, with that, it wove a strong net of student support services, which included child care centers and parenting classes, programs for older students returning to college, Second Chance for formerly incarcerated students, Project Survive, a peer education program that was geared to preventing sexual violence, and a women's center, a veteran center, and a cluster of retention centers for serving students of color. So, you know, all of this, you know, with the, with the aim of understanding as a community institution that saw itself as serving neighborhood people, and with that, over 70% of the students were part-time. So it's like not, it was one of the biggest community colleges in the nation and one of the best and even came out in a, you know when the New York Times did an article profiling the the top 11 community colleges in the nation city college is one of those that's the voice of Lalo Gonzalez he along with being an educator now he was an active fighter in the struggle to keep city college open and committed to its mission he was a city college student and he was committed to not only fighting for free tuition at City College, but also increasing ethnic studies programs and other programs. So we're talking about City College of San Francisco, and we're talking in overall about the importance of the community college system here in California. You all have talked about how essential it is, how it serves really a very important part of our state, which is primarily black and brown students, primarily students that are entering and accessing education, maybe with different kinds of life circumstances, maybe being parents, maybe being taking a class one here or there. So this really different non-traditional way of engaging and and really increasing access to not just not just education, but opportunities through that education. Um, City College has been under attack. If anyone is in the Bay Area, they may even have questions. Is City College still open? How's City College doing? Maybe, Vicki, you could start us off by saying you were at City College teaching for 25 years. Can you give us a sense of the attacks on City College and how really 
City College changed in terms of its offerings and what was available and what was possible at City College starting with the downsizing that began over a decade ago? Yes. So in July of 2012, and it was, I think it was July 4th, there was an announcement that came out in the San Francisco Chronicle that the accreditation California, it's a, a regional body that really authorizes community colleges to operate, that they had declared that City College had one year to prove uh, why it should not be closed down. And that's called a, a show cause sanction. And it was just a bolt out of the blue. And I know Julieta was also a teacher at the college. So it was a complete shock to all the faculty, to all the students. We had close to 100,000 students at that time. And suddenly we were on death row. So I had been about to start a two-week vacation <laughs> when this bombshell dropped. And I canceled my vacation and I said, this is so fishy. It's such a strong college. <laughs> it has such a reputation, not that it's perfect by any means, but it has such a strong reputation. How could it be that this accreditation commission is saying it's one of the worst community colleges in the country and should be closed down in a year? So I, I started just researching on the internet and what I found was that the staff in the U.S. Department of Education who were over accreditation, over this credentialing process, were very involved with the for-profit college industry. So the deputy director of the U.S. Department of Education had previously run the Washington office of the biggest for-profit college, the University of Phoenix, so, as one, one example. And another person in the accreditation bureau who made up the rules for accreditation would shortly rotate out and go work for the second biggest for-profit college, Bridgepoint, making a salary of between $1 million and $3 million a year, according to, to a federal report. So then what we can see is that the regulators of community colleges had been captured by an industry that had a great self-interest in shrinking the community college system, which is its competition. And so that that was the kind of ugly story behind this very fishy thing that had happened. So, yep, that was that was what we found. Okay, we just heard the voice of Vicki Legion. She is a co-author of this incredible new book, Fresh Off the Press. People can check it out to learn the backstory of this important struggle, not just for City College of San Francisco, but a place where we can learn on how we can stand up against these attacks and the privatization of our schools. The book is called Free City, The Fight for City College and Education for All. She's one of two other co-authors, and we're very lucky to also have on the line with us Lalo Gonzalez, who was an active fighter in this struggle for educational equity and justice and fighting to keep 
City College open and serving the communities it's meant to serve. So we've heard a little bit about some of those attacks. What did that look like in practice? So, you know, we had this crisis. We had this accreditation team that Vicki described, you know, all the research she's doing, the connection she's making. What did that mean on the ground for students and for faculty? There was a range of ways, for sure. Um, you know, at the bureaucratic level, the state's chancellor's office took over the class registration website, and it literally became impossible for anyone to register for one or two classes. You literally had to do entire five-step matriculation process. You had to sit placement exams. You had to see a counselor. And counselors were very short-staffed with extremely long lines, um, so it literally took hours. Um, and faculty would even complain at meeting after meeting that many students could no longer manage to enroll unless they were full-time students. Another way was through student push-out policies. So, for example, during the state takeover, there was a policy called pay up front. And previously, students could pay their tuition throughout the semester, but now students had to pay their entire tuition when they registered, even though their financial aid had not arrived yet. And so if you didn't meet the very tight deadline, all your classes would be automatically dropped by the computer. So people had to work hard to get time off from work for classes or to arrange childcare when things went into like chaos. Uh, so, but we were actually able to successfully fight that off by building a really solid organizing with different student of color organizations. And there was also the repeatability rule, which basically says that skill-based classes like music and art and dance and PE and languages can only be taken four times. And that basically wiped out many of the skill-based classes. So the PE department was basically a shadow of its former self. And the other thing to say is that there was a whole range of policies that came in that squeeze out part-time students, as we said, which is in the case of City College, that was more than 70% of the students. So what we would see is during the five years when we were on death row from the Accreditation Commission, the college uh, shrunk each year and you know fewer and fewer students were, were able to get into classes. Yeah, so that you can see programs starting to close down and classes being cut, teachers laid off, and students feeling frightened that they wouldn't be able to complete their program, they, they start to stay away. And we think that this was, in fact, one of the goals of the accreditation crisis. During the struggle, uh, Supervisor Eric Marr asked the city budget office to do a study about the cost of the for-profit colleges in San Francisco versus City College. And what the study found was that the exact same program at uh, a for-profit college was on the average seven times more expensive than a city college program. So you take the Culinary Institute, that would be seven times as expensive as the culinary program at City College. And so we having a big, uh, low-cost public institution is the direct competition of the for-profit colleges. And those for-profit colleges have to be understood as really student debt traps. They have extremely low graduation rates. When we did our research, the University of Phoenix 
in its largest division had a 6% graduation rate. So students will end up with a pile of debt and no degree, or even if they were in the lucky 6%, the degrees were not respected. So, so this is what has been feeding the student debt crisis nationally. And right now we're up to a student debt load of $1.7 trillion in the United States. So, and the for-profit colleges are one of the big drivers of the student debt crisis. We're talking about City College of San Francisco. That's the voice of Vicki Legion, one of the co-authors of the newly published book, Free City, The Fight for City College and Education for All. So along with covering some of the main reasons why community colleges and specifically City College were under attack and seen as a threat and were really singled out, even though the college was you know, providing so many things for students, it was really, truly attacked. As Lalo mentioned, there was a huge organizing effort that we can all learn a lot from and we can use to think about how we can tackle further privatization and further attacks on public education. Can you all talk to us about some of the strategies used by students and faculty to fight back? Well, I would say that one of the important mechanisms of this struggle was to build a strong coalition that crossed over between the faculty union and the students, which Lalo was a main organizer of, and there was a, a student coalition, and also community and labor organizations. So you could see that in operation when one day during the state takeover, the chancellor who had been imposed upon the college announced on Friday afternoon that a campus that had been open since 1923, it was like a, a English as second language campus in the Tenderloin district, which is a very heavily immigrant neighborhood, that it was going to be closed on Monday morning. And so thousands of students were showing up for the first day of classes. It was 2,000 students showing up for the first day of classes, and they would be turned away. So what, what people did was they organized, and one of, the, one of the union organizers played a very important role in organizing community organizations in the Tenderloin, the San Francisco Labor Council, of course, the, the faculty union and the students to press that this was completely unacceptable and the college had to find an alternate space for the classes. So that, that's exactly what happened. The supervisors, when they saw a, a big demonstration, there was a demonstration of about 400 people uh, and they saw the breadth of the coalition, they made a decision to also pressure the college until another campus location was found as a temporary location. And Lalo, why don't you talk about the student organizing that was so important all the way through, all the way through the five years, the students played a crucial role. So I, I joined the student organizing in spring of 2013, um, and things were already popping off since 2012. And, you know, there was a diverse set of actors on the campus. I mean, it was 
you know, we had a little bit of everything. And the challenge was really to ensure that everyone found a place in this struggle. And, you know, usually in organizing, you know, student organizing, you set up some flyers around the campus and then cross your fingers hoping people would come to the meeting. But we had to do more than that. We had to actively engage with different organizations, resource centers, meetings upon meetings, meeting with individual organizers. Um, and you know, and there was difference in opinion and uh, difference in tactics. And instead of crossing people off, we really tried to engage and have that you know, disciplined principle struggle with them. And that worked. Uh, we were able to get several of the student, service, student services centers, you know, like the Women's Center, the Queer Resource Center, to really engage in a way that we hadn't seen in a long time. You know, we had sit-ins in the administration building. For the first time ever, we actually held an overnight sit-in. We had a sit-in at City Hall with over about 250 students participating in. 75 students um, ended up getting arrested for that. Um, so, you know, we even engaged. We had a march, a rally and a march at the Ocean Campus and we got on BART and then we started walking towards different high schools. Uh, you know, Mission High School was one of them. Um, and we would meet up with the high schoolers and they would join the protests. And we literally walked down Mission all the way to Civic Center, you know, for over 2,500 plus uh, demonstration. You know, it took a lot of active organizing around different campuses. You know, the city college was spread out in different communities. You know, we engaged Chinatown, we engaged um, the Mission Campus. So, you know, all of that to say that it was definitely possible to build an active organizing space on that campus, despite the hurdles of trying to organize part-time students, you know, that didn't, that just would go to school and then usually just commute and go to work. And, you know, and, and also to point out that faculty and staff played a tremendous role in that. You know, we would actually be able to be allowed to go into their classes while they taught. We went from door to door. You know, I remember going, you know, from Cloud Hall, uh, getting flyers at 530 in the morning from Edgar Torres, and then plastering them throughout the entire, uh, you know, all of the, 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 the resource centers and, and, you know, on the classes. Uh, we would make a list of where, you know, specific classes were at to ensure that we would go to those classes because we knew that those students would be more more um, attentive to what was happening and the, and and the faculty allowed it you know they were very welcoming you know we had meetings with um, union leadership and you know we really worked together and that paid and that paid off a lot yeah one of the moments that i just want to highlight was to say a, a bit more about the first student sit-in in City College history, that would be over 80 years, the students had occupied the administration building to, to demand basically that, you know, that the college be kind of restored to local governance and allowed to operate, you know, taken off of death row. Historic first sit-in, there were four television trucks that parked in front of the administration building all night long, where you know, and there were scores of students uh, sleeping in the building, and beaming news stories out every couple of hours. So that's an example of where we, we have the potential to inform 
hundreds of thousands of people if a bold action could be taken. So that, that was a moment that I think showed us all the potential that we had. That's the voice of Vicki Legion. We are talking about the amazing organizing strategies taken to fight back to keep City College open and also to increase access to City College. This is part of the fight that led to Free City, which is something that is pretty unique and pretty amazing. It's an opportunity to attend City College if you're a resident. Not a legal resident, a resident, just someone who lives in San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco, you're able to take City College classes for free. So. Any other learnings? Unfortunately, you know, our public educational system is still under attack. It's something that we are facing day in, day out. We're seeing it with the COVID epidemic that we're seeing. So in this context where we know we still have so much organizing to do around educational equity, what are there lessons that we can pull from this struggle to translate to the work that needs to happen today? I would say one of the important lessons is that we need to have a, a program of demands and build those demands across the whole state of California. Because what we see is that a lot of the policies that are shrinking the community colleges are, they're dictated from Sacramento and heavily influenced by lobbyists, like, like we were talking talking about the for-profit college lobby. So what we need to do is we'll need to strengthen our statewide organizing and be clear about common demands. For example, there is a, a policy that Governor Jerry Brown put through in his final days as governor called performance-based funding. And that is a, a very dangerous policy that gives the colleges more appropriation dollars for full-time students who complete certificates or degrees than it does for the part-time students who are kind of the people that the community colleges were set up to serve. So, so a policy like that is a very powerful lever or local administrators to start to conform with, uh, with these priorities. So, or another uh, policy like ending the repeatability rule so that students can actually develop their skill-based classes. And so we're not killing off music, arts, language classes. So I think that one of the important models that we followed was the Chicago Teachers Union. And we saw how they had a program of demands uh, that really incorporated community interests. And people are, were organized to you know, prioritize certain demands and then, and then work for them over time. So I think that is, is one of the lessons that we can draw. A couple of other ones. You know, I think political clarity is critical. You know, we need to do political education so that people understand where all the pressures are coming from and don't just see each bad policy in isolation. Uh, you know, corporate education deform is a bipartisan policy coming from both the Republicans and the corporate Democrats. So understanding who the enemy is and how they work can really inform our strategy to not only resist, but to turn defensive demands into proactive campaigns. You know, I think 
as far as uh, and this is where like you know my more visionary ideas come in you know building on kind of the revolutionary movements that city college is tied to you know i really believe in advancing transformative reforms and i think that we need to you know animate campuses and you can do that by building off of uh you know, like the millionaire's tax and the college for all campaigns in an effort to really reshape the terrain in which we struggle and build, organize and active bases on campuses. Um, I also think that we need to engage with, uh, learn and engage with movement forces beyond the US borders. So like we can really place our experiences, strategies and development with an international context. And I'm looking at places like Chile, Puerto Rico, the Philippines and Cuba that really have had extensive struggles, have paved the way, and can provide blueprints that we can borrow from. That's the voice of Lalo Gonzalez. He is a student, was a student activist at City College of San Francisco and has continues to do work around education, educational access. So we have on the line with us as well, Vicky Legion. She is a co-author of this awesome book, which I recommend people check out, Free City, The Fight for City College and Education for All. Through that book, you can really, you know, hone in and read more about these important lessons and what we can take with us as we continue to fight for a more just educational system and fight against privatization and defunding of our schools. So let's end with a current vision of what's happening now. I know that uh, City College continues to feel the tightness in terms of budgetary cuts, etc. So is there anything that we can share with our listeners around the current state of City College today or ways that they can support City College because as we know most people who live in San Francisco love City College and have, have attended in the past one class and see it as a jewel of the city. So how can people from the whole Bay Area stand up in solidarity with City at this time? Okay well the Board of Trustees voted on a budget that would, as I understand it, the first time in City College history, lay off full-time faculty. In order to lay off full-time faculty, under the rules, you have to lay off part-time faculty so that this budget would mean 160 full-time faculty would be laid off with very heavy cuts to the English as Second Language program uh, and the disabled students' programs and services, the nursing program, and a list of about 25 departments that would be very badly hit. And, you know, we think this is so shocking because San Francisco has always been an international city. And it's a third of this city is made up of immigrants. And those are the main people who are moving into San Francisco as so many techies are leaving in the you know, current economic situation. So it's beyond terrible to be closing the English as second language at the moment when it's needed so badly. So in terms of what people can can do, um, I think it's valuable to look at the AFT 2121 website for the sort of current efforts. There's a contract struggle going on right now. And, you know, a contract struggle will usually involve a a series of demonstrations, um, petitions, et cetera. So you can follow it by looking at the AFT 2121 website. And then there are 
is also a very important effort by students, the City College Coalition that maybe Lalo can speak more to. And there's an effort called Rebuild City College, which is trying to do strategic thinking about how not just to stop the axe coming down in this latest iteration, but really how to fight uh, over years for restoring the college to, to being the kind of community-centered, large institution that we need. Thank you, Vicky Legion. That's essential so people can continue this struggle because as we know, your book chronicles Free City, the fight for City College and Education for All, which had many victories and has led to an opportunity for more people to participate in City College, but that's only going to be possible if it stays the incredible college we know with its essential programs and unique offerings that we know you can't find anywhere else. So Vicki Legion, this is an amazing book. It truly is an inspiring story with a lot of really great details of how people can really fight back in a, in a way that's very empowering. It couldn't be more relevant right now. So let us know, how can people get their hands on Free City, the fight for City College and education for all? The best or the easiest way to order the book is to go on the book website, which also has uh, tons of photos and resources and historical documents about the struggle. And the website is freecitythebook.com. Org. freecitythebook.org. Immediately when you hit up the website, you'll see the link for ordering from PM Press, but it'll take you exactly into the right part of their website. And the book is available now, so we hope that lots of people will read it, will get it uh, going in their book groups, will assign it in their classes uh, so that we can really build this powerful struggle for education justice. I feel so grateful to have my comrades in the struggle. As I said, I'm, you know, on again, off again, faculty at City College, but I, my heart will always be at City College of San Francisco. I'm so lucky that we had on the line with us Lalo Gonzalez, who has been really just so outstanding his struggle and his commitment to City College, and also Vicky Legion, who has truly dedicated her life to City College. So thank you both for being on the line with us and for sharing around this exciting struggle and giving us a chance to learn from all the successes you all experienced. Thanks, Julieta. It was wonderful yeah, talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much, Julieta. You're about to listen to The Flavor of Chicano Poetry, El Sabor de la Poesía Chicana, a bilingual poetic expression of Chicano life featuring five of California's outstanding poets, writers, and recording artists. This was produced and mixed by Santiago Casal in 1983 and features Luzma Espinosa, Juan Felipe Herrera, José Montoya, Los Alatranes Mojados, and Valentina Productions. This won the Best of the West Award in 1983. cultura chicana, semillas de la raza, little carnalitos en la casa, a US Chevrolet onto the floor, con unos tight skirt spokes and four doors, images of the Mexican Revolution, perhaps a tía, ama or abuelo, speak a language no del anglo, que es la cultura chicana, and only a salsa, 
the greasy burritos we'd hide in our lunch sacks. A state worker who says he's Hispanic? Chale, man, a single free modern Chicano or Chicana. This is a program of poetry, Poesia Chicana, featured poets are Luz Maria Espinosa, Juan Felipe Herrera, Jose Montoya, y Valentina Productions, Todos de Califas. chica plástica, de esas que veo por ahí, de esas que cuando se agitan, sudan Chanel number three, que sueñan casarse con un doctor, pues él puede mantenerlas mejor, no le hablan a nadie si no es su igual, a menos que sea fulano de tal, son lindas, delgadas, de buen vestir, de mirada esquiva y falso reír. Juan Felipe. Do you want that new American thing? It's a, uh, it's a poem that really is talking about the new wave, the new uh, wave of politics that's hitting, uh, hitting everybody in this country. And this poem asks that question, are you doing that new American thing? Are you doing that new American thing, sweet thing? Handsome thing, that thing about coming out, all the way out, about her telling him, telling us, telling them that we must kill the revolutionary soul because it was only a magical thing, a sacred thing, a momentary thing, a thing outside of time, a 60s thing, a brown beret thing, a grassroots thing, a street thing, a loud thing, a spontaneous thing, a Vietnam thing, a white radical thing, an Aslan thing, a nationalist thing, for pochos and cholos, only thing, a college thing, an August 29th, 1970, moratorium thing, an outdated thing, a primitive thing, sweet thing, handsome thing, the thing about coming out, all the way out, on a communist scare thing, a red thing, a let's go back to war thing, that we must stop the El Salvador thing, because it could lead to another Nicaragua thing, because we need order and Regan in the America's thing. Are you doing that new American thing? The chains, pins, and leather thing? The aluminum thing? The transparent plastic underwear thing? The lonely boulevard thing? The hopeless existentialist thing? The neo-Paris melancholy thing? The nightmare thing? The urban artist thing? The laughing thing? The serious suicide thing? The new American Chicano thing? The end of the world? thing, the humble genius thing, the victim thing, the enlightened quasi-political thing, the university hustle for the pie thing, the we are the community thing. Are you doing that new American thing, the nacimos para morir thing, the Dios y hombre thing, the así no más thing, the quien sabe 
thing. That todo se acaba thing. That la vida es un misterio thing. That no quiero problemas thing. That quisiera ser thing. That con dinero baila la mona thing. The vato firme thing. The chola de aquellas thing. That no me toques thing. Doing the be clean, be seen with the right people thing. Doing the be macho again because women like it anyway thing. Doing the look out for number one because you tried the group thing thing. Doing the be submissive again because after all, a woman needs a man thing. Doing the army thing because it really does pay more than hanging around the barrio. Thing. Doing the women's draft thing because you can do it better than the men thing. Doing the go Greek because identity is a relative social process thing. Doing the purity thing because no one got to be president by eating greasy tacos thing. Doing the spa thing because there you will meet the right tall and dark and blonde and tender thing. Are you doing that new American thing? Sweet thing, handsome thing, that thing about coming out. Oh, the way out about her telling him, him telling us, telling them that we must kill the revolutionary soul. I was born in Uruapan, Michoacán, and since then have inherited the name La Chicana Michoacana. Um, my poetry is a mixture of Chicano, Mexicano, and Indio uh, perspective of life because they are the things that have made me and the things that I have learned. When I was younger, I was always um, had a complex about my features because I'm very India looking. And as I've grown older, I've learned to appreciate them. My next poem deals with that and how hard it was growing up as a teenager. And it's called Pensamientos All Mixed Up. No muscle-born man could take my hand from my guy. It's playing on the radio. Y en mi mente y en mi espíritu, veo a Santa Paula. I'm sitting here in Sanfra trying hard to figure out just exactly when it was I was in the sixth grade, walking through Orchard Street with Patsy Silva. You remember when we used to go to choir? We were walking in the teens. You, La Rosemary, Alma, all the rest of you. Y el Benny y el Babe. Cuántos años hace que Patsy and I were friends. I remember yo por sixth grade, 12th Street, Barbara Webster, y todas las carnalas from around la vecindad. Walking through La Orchard, going to choir, y los cuates right across the church were the reason we were so santitas. Take good care of my baby. Rosemary, Patsy, and Alice, remember when you told me, Patsy, que tu mamá había dicho que hablo como una pura india? So I went home and told my mom, and she said, no, mija, 
Los indios son feos. Dile a Patsy a su mamá que están locas. And I grew up hating myself. Y ahora, muchos años más después, I say con mucho orgullo. Sí, soy india, sí lo soy. ¿Y qué? More love and more joy than age or time could ever destroy. My love would be so sound, it would take a hundred lifetimes to live it down, wear it down, tear it down. And I think of UC Santa Bruta, where I learned all about life. Y yo pienso de la mona de la 601 East Haley. I think of Pablo, Joey, Terry, de la Ima y Sa Frankie Sandoval. ¡Santa Bruta! Tú sí que eres bruta, pero a la vez que amor. And I'm writing this here poem on the pages of the United States Coast Guard with brochure and reference guide, the many missions of the United States Coast Guard. Oh boy, I'd be in trouble if you left me now Cause I don't know where to look for love I just don't know how And it's 1972 Fats, like Josie, Malcolm, like Jerry, Johnny, Gilbert And all the rest of you My fast pimp and wanna be a negro styling kind of life And it's 1981 Raza time Y tú como chicana, mexicana, latina Or whatever you choose to call yourself Will be checking out what's life Y todos los caminos por donde andas son tu autorreflexión And what are you gonna use to check it out with carnala? Hermana, let's get ourselves together. In the year 1970, in the city of San Diego, under the Coronado Bridge, lied a little piece of land. A piece of land that the community of Logan Heights wanted to make into a park. A park where all the chavalitos could come and play in so they wouldn't have to play in the street anymore and get run over by a car. A park where all the viejitos could come and just sit down and watch the sun go down in the tarde. A park where all the familias could come and just get together on a Sunday afternoon and celebrate the spirit of life itself. But the city of San Diego said, Chale, we're going to make a highway patrol substation here, man. So on April the 22nd, 1970, La Raza of Logan Heights and other Chicano communities of San Diego got together and they organized and they walked on the land and they took it over with their picks and their shovels and they began to build their park. And today, that little piece of land under the Coronado Bridge is known to everybody as Chicano Park. It began in 1970. Under the Coronado Bridge in mi barrio, in San Diego, where my people began to fight for Chicano Park, for Chicano Park, under the bridge. Uh, my name is uh, Jose Montoya. I've uh, 
been writing poetry for a long, long time. Now, one of the things that uh, one has to come to grips with uh, when one decides to become a poet is that you can uh, not hold back those images that, 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 that become very clear to you. You, you, you kind of sharpen your inner sights to the point where sometimes the things that you see are very um, uh, painful. But uh, again, if we propose to be that mirror that, that, that uh, reflects what our people are all about, uh, you can't hold that in. And sometimes I guess that's why poets always wind up before firing squads. They can't keep the mouth shut, and a lot of times they step on a lot of toes. So this one uh, kind of reminds me of that all the time because uh, the hardest thing that uh, we have is um, when we have to uh, remind our own people that uh, we are uh, the the people that hurt ourselves the most. Uh, this is a poem entitled, Those Days Are Us. We were once a principled people. Ser chuecos was never our style. Los chuecos were always los otros, los they. Now we discover que los days nos vacilaron. And striving to build a Chicano nation that proposes to guarantee the Indians a better deal is no longer the issue when we consider que los days have Eskimos guarding the Alaskan pipeline. Los days nos siguen jodiendo worse than before. Today they beat up lowriders like they beat up pachucos before. But only the uniform is the same porque las caras are our faces as in Chicano cops killing us, killing ourselves. Antes, los days used to put us in MR classes. Today, they do it in two languages. Only the system remains the same, but the faces are becoming our faces. News item, front page, of course. Chicano educator ups comes with project monies. Y saben retorcer el filero, noted Chicano educator, respected Chicano educator. Before, los public defenders nos mandaban al tabique, and today, once mecha militants are sending us up and charging us for it. An interesting aside, there was a fundraiser for David accused of blowing up the telephone company. His attorney, early movement vato, had the audacity to come to where the barrio was raising the fee. And David was doing time. Just an interesting aside. Y los políticos used us as they broke bread with our leaders and they lied to us like politicians lie. And today the lies are the same as we break pan dulce and have canela clutches. And the faces are our faces. And brown elected officials make and pass laws to destroy us and Panama. Once we were a principled people. Today we have very little left that is still ours. Today we have nothing to lose. Only confusion can contain us. Dispel the confusion, compañero, compañera, y trucha con los days. Because los days are us, isn't
I am a woman. I am a person. You see a veil. Un nervoso with my black hair streaming down, but always covering half of my face. You say that I am your woman, sometimes suggestive, sometimes hiding, but always weak. You say I never release that veil that hides me, and so that makes me mysterious? That is only because you spend too much time looking at me, not seeing me. You spend all your time writing about me, but not knowing me. A goddess in your poems you make me, a flower in your dreams I am. And in your mind, you carry the thoughts of your desires. But I don't want to just live in your poems and your dreams. I want you to see me, the person. I'm trying to unveil myself so that you can see me fully, completely. It's time you realize that I too have scars like you, but I too am strong like you. We can love each other, but we can also work together so don't look another way when oppression brings you down. Don't turn your back on me when you need some strength and some help. Look at me. Look at my face. The veil removed. Together we can hold up the sky. This is a poem that helps me to always clean up my act. <laughs> and so this little poem I wrote uh, after having seen one of our very, very illustrious intellectuals Entre la Chicanada delivering a very, very important speech one time, but uh, it really didn't have that much effect regardless of how important or how succinct or, or how... Uh, uh, intelligent his points were coming across there was just something that uh, didn't quite uh, allow what he was saying to come through and it was after that that I wrote this poem to remind myself always to uh, be very very cautious uh, about what I say and how I say it and where I say it it's a short little poem entitled a moco poem And if you see a moco on my bigote, don't suffer my shame and don't punish me with your silence. Tell me about it. Yo, muchas gracias. program was produced by Santiago. Gracias a Luz María Espinosa, Juan Felipe Herrera, Jose Montoya y Valentina Productions for Pacifica 
in Berkeley. You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. If you'd like to stay up on our news, like us on Facebook at La Raza Chronicles on Facebook. If you want to hear this program or share it with a friend, you can go to soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles and share it. If you have any ideas for interviews we should be doing or would like to get involved with our collective, you can email us at Chronicles at kpfa.org. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. Thank you.